Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. My name is Nasser Pasha, and I'm your host for today. <laughs> My name is Matt Staub. I'm also a, a host for the show, I suppose, today. <laughs> for your wonderful, quick 10, 15-minute episode on... This is actually the topic that we're covering today. It's pretty interesting because I think this is our first, like, we're making up our own news story, I guess, because I received a email from a vendor... And what was it? It was ammo2go.com. You got the email, but uh, <laughs> actually, I'll ask my question later, but okay, that I have just for you specific to this email. But uh, so you got this email. I, I, don't, I feel weird telling the story since you're the one that received it, but I, I'm going to go through. <laughs> I'll go through and you tell me what's right. Yeah. What's accurate. Yeah. So you got this email. Uh, I guess there was a, a security breach. I don't know if you if you want to call it a security breach, but it, it looks like some of their customer information was sold to a third party. Uh, this is ammo to go. Their customer email list was sold, and they were able to kind of verify that through a couple different avenues. They basically sent the email out to, I think, only the people they believe were affected. I think they mentioned that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, looks like it might have possibly been sold to Target Sports USA, which I assume is related to Target, the store, but... Maybe I'm making an inaccurate assumption, but no, I don't think so. I think it's target like ammo and guns, but go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, scratch that. So yeah, they said no credit card information was on there. And they, interestingly, they said it at about the same time they had relaunched their website and changed their security. And this happened conveniently around the same time, which I don't know if they're going to say that I'll take them for their word, but who knows if that's accurate or not. Yeah, they said no credit card information was taken, and as a result of their new security they put in place that you know everything's fine, they don't expect anything in the future. They suggest changing your password if you haven't already, and if, especially if you use the same password on multiple websites. And like I said, they, they said they only sent this to the people that they believe were affected, which I thought was interesting. I don't know how you could... I guess if it happened, people that signed up afterwards, I don't know how they're, making, how they're drawing that line. Yeah, that's true. So, but what's interesting is that one of the ways that they confirmed all this is that this other Target Sports USA, they actually purchased, or this is what they believe, they purchased an email list from who they thought was Ammo2Go. And from their perspective, that didn't happen. And so then they started looking a little bit deeper and found, okay, wait a minute, some of our data has been breached and basically all the emails have been uh, taken and now is being sold on the open market to uh, companies like these. So lots of issues here, but I think one of the coolest things is that, and we'll post a screenshot of the actual email, because I think this is a very good representation as to a great way of dealing with a problem like this. I mean, a small business that is, you know, being hacked, you know, and we've talked about in the past, and I'm sure security experts will agree that there's only so much things you can do to prevent a security breach. Obviously, the smaller the business, the harder it is. But what it happens, what do you do? And besides complying with the notice requirements of a data breach, which obviously this is compliant, how the exposure of information, which in some cases this may be embarrassing for them to admit that, hey, not only were our servers hacked, all your email addresses have now been sold to some other company and are being sold otherwise. And you may be 
hit with more spam. That's not a really great thing to admit to your customers who you wish to uh, patron your store again. Even the biggest of companies, I think those might even be obviously bigger targets because they have more emails and more customer information. But for a small business, I mean, I think they handled this in about the best way they could. The one thing I would do differently, at least, would be, like I said, I don't know the details, but just to be safe, maybe send this to everyone. But like I said, maybe the people they didn't send it to, or just don't even include that clause in there, that we're only sending this to the people that are affected. I would have never even thought about it. Yeah. I think you're right. They did have a cutoff date because they said after August 2014, they updated their new secure database. And I'm sure they have no reason to believe that after that time, there's been any data breach. So perhaps that has something to do with it. But you know, at the end, what I like is that I don't know what they can do, but they're going to do what they can to fight against these hackers and anyone else who buys and abuses their stolen information. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, do you think they have a good shot at finding the people that did this? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, uh, unless it's like an inside source, which very well could be. Because what I find strange is how did they, if you steal an email list, why would you pretend to be the vendor that you stole it from to sell the list? Because you know that it's very high probability that it's going to get back to that vendor, you know? The listeners can tell we're recording this on a different day than normal because you completely missed the pun question that I (laughs) asked you, but that's all right. That's a very subtle one. So my question is, have you purchased from this? Oh, yeah. The only reason I I bought a list is because I I don't really like to talk about it. I have about five or six storage units down the street just full of ammo (laughs) just in case, uh, you know, zombie apocalypse. I'm not even sure if that seems a little bit dangerous, especially it gets hot there. No, no, no. I've just, I've bought some ammo from there in the past uh, a while ago. In fact, I think I bought something from them once, but I don't even realize this kind of shows you it's almost good marketing because I don't think they actually send any kind of newsletters or if they do, I've ignored it or not received it in the past. But this caught my eye. And now, okay, now all of a sudden I'm thinking about them as a company again, because frankly, I'm pleased on how they responded. And, and I think their other customers are also appreciated. So you think they did this on purpose then for people that haven't purchased in a while? It's that maybe always, you, know, like you get this email and you want to pay attention yeah, to it. Yeah, exa- exactly. It worked on me, in fact. I'm probably the only one that received it. It may not even be news. <laughs> it's just a, some social experiment Possible. for me only. I hope that's the case. It'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, a lot of issues here. I mean, uh, I'm sure in their privacy policy too, they've described both in the privacy policy and this email that they don't sell email addresses. And also, you know, a lot of businesses buy email lists. And forget about the, just to be kind of uh, frank, the stupidity of buying an email list, because I don't think that's a very effective way to market. But besides that aspect of it is whether it's an intelligent business move or not, the legalities are actually pretty straightforward. I mean, you can buy email lists. I mean, there's no law against spamming in itself. There is the Can Spam Act which basically says you can spam, but you have to do it in this way. The problem with buying lists is that you don't know where the sources come from. So if the source is like scraping the internet or stolen information, that's not compliant with the Spam Can Act. So that's something to think about when you're thinking about buying an email list, which I don't think most marketers would advise anyway. Yeah. And even with that in California, there was a court of appeal case that just got ruled on less than a week ago at the time we're recording this that kind of just expanded the or broadened what email marketers can do. Because there was a question about the headers. Basically, you can't, that's well established both in California and the federal can spam act that you can't 
disguise your headers and so forth. But then there was some nuances to that that I didn't think I, I really paid attention to. I haven't read the case in detail, but I think what they're talking about is that just because you're from email is accurate, but everything else is inaccurate, then you're still not in compliance. And it's kind of a subtle technical issue, but those that are trying to skirt the law, it's actually a good thing to uh, have a little bit more defined scope for that. Question of the day. Every quarter, we have to take care of some corporate stuff, and many of my employees are required to work on the weekend. Some of the employees have voice complaints, but can I legally do this? Okay, so basically this is a question about scheduling uh, and how and when can you make your employees work. And just like everything in employment law from a conceptual point of view, usually the employers can do everything they want unless it's prohibited by law. Right. I know that sounds funny, but that's really how you have to start it out because there's so many little small details that are prohibited. The the answer to the question, can you do that? Yeah, always. But the question is, when you do it, is it going to affect something else? And some of the things that come into mind is that when you schedule something on the weekend, then there might be some religious accommodation issues. You know, whether it's someone going to church or synagogue Saturday or Sunday, then requiring them to work may affect that. And so how you address that is very simply, and we've talked about this in the past, by going through the reasonable accommodation process and having that communication with the employee. And this doesn't mean that you have to let them off. It just means that you have to go through this process if there's a reasonable accommodation to let them do this, or maybe it's undue hardship on the business to not have that worker there at that time. And they have to be on there on Saturday and Sunday or Sunday. And what makes this trickier, too, is I think the religious accommodations come into play because typically Saturday, Sunday are days that you would not be working. And both days of the weekend can be big days for religious observance. So it does make things a little bit trickier. And as an employer, you need to make some reasonable accommodations of for religious purposes. And I think it's even little bit more for religious purposes as opposed to something else. And there was also a federal case that was recently so that employers may be required to make scheduling accommodations to attend purported religious activities or functions, such as church food drives or community feeding ceremonies. <laughs> Makes That's a little bit weirdly worded, but so long as the employee sincerely believes his or her attendance is a serious component of his or her beliefs. So that's... I don't think I've ever been to a meeting ceremony, but... <laughs> feeding ceremony. Is that what you said? Oh, it is, is it feeding or meeting ceremony? Feeding, e- yeah. Either one is weird. Yeah. <laughs> feeding ceremonies. A feeding ceremony. Not to get too off track, but yeah. it's So that's that's pretty broad. Um, that's pretty broad, yeah. <laughs> but they mentioned that the employees have voice complaints. Really, at the end of the day, it depends what the complaints are. I would assume for most people, it's going to be like, oh, we have to work on the weekend. It's one of those kind of complaints. But if they're more specific, it's like, hey, I, I have to go to church you know, on Sunday, or I have to go to the synagogue on Saturday, or I have this uh, food drive that is pre-scheduled on this day or something like that, Yeah. then, okay, that's something to pay attention to. But, you know, if they're just complaining, and at the same time, again, remember, this doesn't sound like this is a regular work week kind of schedule or uh, workplace, but obviously, like, if you're a restaurant and or some kind of business that is really busy on the weekends like that, then maybe these kinds of religious accommodations aren't as applicable to you because it may or may not have some undue hardship if you don't have those employees available during those weekends. Yeah, and and a one-time occurrence every year is different than every single Saturday or Sunday. So True. 
factor that in as well. Yeah, but I think the most important thing is communication with your employees and, and kind of working it out and see if the, you can find a, a compromise or an alternative and so forth. And just being careful in this day and age with that kind of stuff. And also remember, most likely if they're working on a Saturday or Sunday and they work through Monday through Friday, then there's going to be overtime implications to it as well if yeah, they're non-exempt. Definitely another consideration. So, And maybe even consider not doing it on a Saturday or Sunday. That's annoying. Have to work on a Saturday and Sunday. What yeah. a terrible boss. <laughs> happens, it happens. As long as it's not Super Bowl Sunday, yes. I'd probably be the worst Sunday to do it. For some, that's like a religious holiday. So <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Make the argument that football is religion. <laughs> I guarantee people have done it, so it's I'm sure it has happened in Texas. We'll look it up. Okay guys, well thanks for joining us. Keep it sound and keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast, the podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.